0: Welcome to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And this is my time. Keep it here as Roger talks about local and national issues important to you. Talking with the leaders and newsmakers in our community. We might have a little fun along the way. It's the Roger Franklin Williams Show. And now here's Roger.
1: Welcome to The Roger Franklin Williams Show, a program that's dedicated to protecting, preserving, and defending America's founding traditions, God, family, country. It's great to be with you today. It's always great to get together every week, A few minutes we have, to talk about the issues that affect us in our community, our state, and our nation. And of course, on our program, The Roger Franklin Williams Show, we do that from a perspective that honors America's founding traditions of God. Family, country. Have a very special show today. It's our annual tribute to Veterans Day, and we have an outstanding guest, and we'll get right into introducing him right now. And we're pleased to be joined by a true American hero, Mr. Earl Shaw. He's a 91 year old veteran of World War II. He saw extensive duty in the Pacific for the United States Navy, serving on the USS Sea Dragon in the U.S. Naval. Submarine service, saw extensive combat and served in uh, various was posts such as uh, Midway Island. He was at Iwo Jima, Saipan, Guam, and he participated in the Battle of Leyte Gulf. And we're very pleased to be joined by Mr. Earl Shaw on the Roger Franklin Williams show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank
2: you for in having me today. appreciate it very
1: much. And, of course, Mr. Shaw's son. Good friend Dave Shaw is here in the studio with us as well. We may even hear from him before the, the show's over. But Now, um, Mr. Shaw, why don't you start? And, you know, the World War II was one of the most dramatic events, not only in American history. I would say in world history, you know, it was uh, initiated by the attack Correct. on Pearl Harbor by Japan, and that literally changed America, and it uh, really changed, uh, galvanized an entire generation of Americans. Can you tell us, why don't we start, first of all, what were you doing? What was your life like uh, on December seventh, nineteen forty-one, when
2: when we were attacked by Japan? On December the seventh, nineteen forty-one, I was a sophomore in high school, and the kids on my block with me we were playing basketball on the football practice field when they bombed and somebody came over and told us, we all quit immediately and went home, turned the radios on to listen to it. So that's how I first became aware of it was the very day and a few hours after it happened.
1: Now, at that point, in the view, you, as I understand, as I know, chose to join the U.S. military, the Navy, when you were just 17. Can you talk about from the period of that day, that fateful day and? In- December seventh, and in your life uh, until you actually graduated from high school and, and joined the Navy. Well, what what led you to want to get out there and be part of the the war effort?
2: Well, at that time when the war was going on, all my friends, all my guys, and the people in my town, it was no number one on everybody's mind, and uh, everybody was joining the service or being drafted, and the war effort was going full blast, and all my friends. That were old enough were were volunteering and were being drafted, and when I graduated from high school, uh, two weeks later I graduated in May of uh, forty three. Two weeks later I turned seventeen years old. Two weeks after that I joined the Navy. So I am in my hometown. I was born and raised in the southwestern part of Virginia. And all my buddies were going, and so I joined up. And I didn't get in immediately because I was just 17 years old. And it took a little time to get my mother to agree to sign up to let me go. But anyway, during the summer, a little bit later, she agreed to sign and let me go. So I went into service in the summer of 43, late summer of 43. Went to boot camp in Great Lakes, Florida. And from there, I was selected and sent to... Navy Electrical School at Iowa State College in Ames, Iowa. And uh, after that, uh, I room we stayed right on the campus in the dormitory. And my roommate was from Brooklyn, Brockton, Brookline, Mass. And uh, he was wanting submarine service. So in electrical school, they started calling for volunteers to join the submarine service. And they had to go take a physical. My roommate Robert Dillon, he joined. He he went the first time, didn't pass the physical. Made another call, went the second time, three times he went and could not pass the physical. And all the time he was after me to join and go with him. We were roommates. So the fourth time I told him, I'm going to go just to shut you up. So we went, and I went through the flying colors and the doctor told him right behind me, here you are again. I'm going to pass you just to get rid of you, and they're going to flunk you out at New London, Connecticut anyway. And so we both went to New London Submarine School, and he passed the physical up there and went in there, and he he got his wish. He got home for another three months, you know. And then we when we graduated from Submarine School in New London, Connecticut, we got on a 1920 troop train, Took us five days to get to Vallejo, California. No showers. nothing. all you do was just wash your face, and cross country. No stops. You could not get off the train or anything. Got in Vallejo, California, on the bay at about six o'clock one morning. We all got showers. Was escorted to a barracks. Got bunks. And boy, was a shower and stretched out for the first time in over a week. And in about 30 minutes, my name was called over the loudspeaker to report to a certain building. So I got back up and dressed again, walked down to the building. And uh, the guy said, go in there and speak to that engineering officer. And I went in there, and he was an engineering officer on a submarine, and he interviewed me. He said, go get your bag and get all your gear, and report to that boat down there. And so I went and got my stuff and went down and went on board the boat. By noon, I was going underneath the Golden Gate Bridge almost on the way to the Pacific. So that's the way I got well, in. that's doctorate. amazing. <laughs> that,
1: that's a great story. Friends, we're listening to the Roger Frank and William Show Tribute to Veterans Day. We're pleased to be joined by Mr. Earl Shaw. He's a 91-year-old veteran of the United States Navy. He st- served extensively in the Pacific in naval combat during World War II. Mostly aboard the USS Sea Dragon SS-194, which is a submarine. He served in the submarine service of the United States Navy. Very interesting. Uh, it's great to get these uh, great real world insights of what it was really like to 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 be a, a young man and also to be a um, a soldier and and a sailor during World War II. Now, as I said uh, earlier, Mr. Shaw, you, you know, your service took you to some of the hottest spots of the Pacific. the to Midway Island, to Iwo Jima, Saipan, Guam, but it also you were involved in you know in the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which of course is one of the most famed naval battles in, in U.S. history. Literally, there's a an out, outstanding movie in Harm's Way that documents that battle. Can you just share with us right now about about the Battle of Leyte Gulf and, and your participation
2: there? We um, we left Pearl Harbor going on the war patrol. And we went through Saipan and refueled and then went out in the Pacific. And we were out in the Pacific. And, of course, submarine service, you're submerged during the daytime, and then you surface at night to recharge the batteries and all. And I'll never forget one particular incident was one of the most important in my career. We were out on war patrol, and I was in the control room and the executive office. This is at nighttime, and we were on the surface. And the executive officer came out of the control radio room, Shaq, and laughing, and he said, you'll never believe what I just got word of. And I, we all, was three or four of us standing there. And we said, what? And he says, they invaded the island of Leyte this morning. He said, we just left from there last night. So we were on patrol and reconnaissance right on the shore of Leyte Island, And didn't know it, you know. So we all, that was big news to us. And so um, later on, after a while, during the Battle of Leyte Gulf, which was a week or so later, Bull Halsey's famous sea battle there, one of the largest in naval history up until that time, we hit a cruiser, got a hit on a cruiser and a hit on an aircraft carrier, Japanese, and they turned back, so we, the boat, actually prevented those two craft uh, warships from entering in and and helping the existing Japanese during the Battle of Leyte Gulf. So that was quite interesting, and then a little bit later, excuse me, (coughs) a little bit later, we were still, had just submerged one morning, early one morning. And uh, picked up a convoy of Japanese ships headed our way. there were three Japanese ships and three destroyer escorts in that convoy and so the skipper uh by the way, the skipper was from Melbourne Captain Ashley was Annapolis graduate uh he lined up the we got set up and fired four torpedoes out of the forward torpedo room, hit and sank the first Merchant ship in that convoy. Then we turned around and set up and fired four torpedoes out of the after torpedo room and hit another ship and sank it. And then we cruised underwater all the time and got ahead of them. And the third, what was left, came by and we fired four more torpedoes and hit the remaining third vessel in that convoy all before noon one morning there. And, boy, the depth charges rang, and three destroyers were on our tail all heavy, and so they got scared and left. They thought they were into a wolf pack, so they got scared and left. And so we cruised back down to where we had sank. The second ship turned out to be a troop ship with thousands, probably, of Japanese troops on board, and they were all swimming in the ocean, three or four hanging to a one life fast or piece of lumber or float, anything that they could be, could stay afloat with. So the captain let each member of the crew come up and look through the periscope and observe that. And, of course, it's not nice to say, but this was wartime, and we were all cheering, good, good for us, you know. That's another thousand or so troops that will not go to the Philippines to fire their troops there.
1: That's uh, it's quite a morning's work. All that before before noon, <laughs> and, and, and that's the that's the greatest generation for you. Well, friends, we're very pleased you can join us today. Our special guest is Mr. Earl Shaw, combat veteran, Navy veteran from World War II, and he's talking about his extensive service and combat service in the United States Navy during World War II. We're going to continue to speak with Mr. Shaw when we come back from our first break. Before we go to break, I want to remind you our program is sponsored by our friend Dr. Patrick St. Germain, St. Germain Chiropractic and orlando.com Dr. Patrick St. Germain salutes veterans this Veterans Day, all who served. And also, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Florida Door Solutions. Florida Door Solutions salutes all United States veterans current and those serving currently to protect us, our freedom, and our security in the United States military. We'll be right back on The Roger Franklin Williams Show. Welcome back to The Roger Franklin Williams Show, and welcome back to The Roger Franklin Williams Annual Tribute to Veterans Day. The program where we honor those who served put their lives on the line to protect our freedom and security. We're pleased to be joined by a true American hero, Mr. Earl Shaw. He's a 91-year-old Winter Park resident Maitland Winter Park resident and he served in the United States Navy and saw extensive naval combat during World War II in the submarine service of the United States Navy. He was aboard the USS Sea Dragon SS 194. Which is a submarine. He served in on Midway Island. He served at the Battle of Iwo Jima. He was on Saipan, um, and Guam. He was on the coast of Tokyo, and of course, we just heard about his account of his combat experience in the Battle of Leyte Gulf. And before we move on from that, you, you I do want to you know, share, of course, the Battle of Leyte Gulf was back when um, our our forces, you know, led by the Navy, went back to retake. The Philippines, after you know MacArthur had had to, and our forces had had to abandon the Philippines early in the war, and of course, as we said before, one of the major battles—not just naval battles, not just in World War II, but in United States naval history. But now, uh, Mr. Shaw, can we pick it up? There and let's go after that dramatic battle of Leyte Gulf. Your incredible service there—you you doing serious damage to the Japanese Navy all before 12 noon one morning. Um, You went on over to Midway Island. Why don't you share about those experiences?
2: When we when we left Leyte, and I might add that Captain Ashley again, who was from Melbourne, was awarded the Navy Cross for his participation in the invasion and fighting. Of the Philippines. And a lot of the officers, several of the officers were native uh, bronze silver stars or something like that. But after we left there, we went to the island of Midway for rest and recuperation. And we were there about two to three weeks. And this is common in the submarine service you go on war patrol and then you go somewhere for two or three weeks rest and recuperation. And a relief crew works over the boat and takes over anything that has to be done. So we went first to Midway Island, and in the fall, in the Thanksgiving of seven, uh, Thanksgiving of 1944, was spent on Midway Island, and we had a f- fabulous dinner. The submarine service always had the best food and everything. Then we left Midway after that, and we patrolled up and down uh, the coast of Japan and all, and— uh, I spent uh, the boat spent uh, Christmas of 1944 right outside Tokyo Bay. R- radioing back troop movements, ship movements and reconnaissance and stuff like that. And then a little bit later, after we left the coast of uh, Tokyo there, we finally wound up later over at Iwo Jima, right off the coast of Iwo Jima. We did not know it at the time. We were a little submarine sitting out there in the vast Pacific. We did not know that they were getting ready to invade Iwo Jima. But we were there on reconnaissance right off the coast. You could see the shoreline almost. And we were submerged in the daytime and on the surface at night. One night, the radio operator got in contact, picked up a, an airplane. So he got to talking to this pilot in this airplane, the pilot Airplane pilot spoke perfect English. And so he was talking back and forth with our operator on the boat, and our operator was trying to get get him to identify himself, who he was and what he was doing and what he wanted and this type of thing. And the pilot never would tell him any facts or give him any information. And this went on for several minutes. And so finally, and the pilot was Right close to us, right on top of us almost. And the lookouts on the bridge could see him and hear the engine and all that. that close. So the pilot dropped a flare. And then when he dropped the flare, he turned and came right directly over top of us. And so then he went out and he turned around again. And when the flare went off, then the skipper of the boat, Captain Ashley, was on the bridge Captain Ashley knew exactly what was happening. So Captain Ashley rang the diving alarm, and, and when the flare went off, with the pilot on the opposite side of the boat had us silhouetted against the flare so he could see us just like daytime. So he turned and started to make a bomb run on us. So Captain Ashley rang the diving alarm. We submerged, and we just barely got under the water. Did not get down to full 300-foot depth, not even to 100 feet. Just barely got under water, and the Japanese ship, plane, dropped two bombs on us, almost blew us out of the water. And we, we suffered some damage from that attack. But anyway, we survived it. If it hadn't been for the quick thinking of Captain Ash, we probably would have gotten sunk. The bombs were real close.
1: Another amazing story. We're speaking with Mr. Earl Shaw. He's talking about his extensive <coughs> U.S. Naval combat service during World War II aboard the USS Sea Dragon SS-194 submarine. And uh, you know, now, Mr. Shaw, now, now after a dramatic you know, event like that, what, what, what was what was it like the aftermath of it?
2: Well, it, you didn't feel very good because you. Came pretty close to being blasted out of the water, so everybody was real uneasy. But after a while, a few hours or a day or so, uh, you got back over it, and you got in your normal patrol routine and looking for ships and Japanese ships to sink and that type of thing. But the dramatic effect of that Japanese pilot speaking excellent English was something, you know, that was to talk about on a the boat there,
1: probably gives gave you one one more thing to to think about. <laughs> um, now, can you talk about? You said that you were over literally off the coast, right off the coast of Tokyo uh, during you know, some of the, the most intense fighting of of World War II in the Pacific. Can can you talk about just the feeling of, of kind of being that far away from home and, and being that close to to the enemy homeland?
2: When we were off the coast of Tokyo, we were at that time the war was beginning to drag down because the Japs did not have many ships left in the ocean to be sunk by some Marines. There were still some. But our primary purpose at that time, that patrol, was being on lifeguard duty for the B-29s that were bombing Japan, flying out of uh, Tinian Island uh, mm-hmm. south of Saipan, and they were on their bombing runs. And a lot of submarines were in the area to pick up downed American pilots that were shot down and in the ocean. So they were a lot of them were picked up. Hundreds of them were saved by the submarines there. So we were right off the coast of Japan for a good while, and they had we had to be on the surface during the daytime when the planes came over, so they could make radio contact with us and we could talk to them. And if they got shot down, we had to be on the surface in the daytime to go pick them up. And that was a no-no for any submarine to be on the surface at daytime. And while we were right off the surface of Japan so much, they had these real small surface craft that would carry 10 or 12 depth charges. And they'd sit on shore and see us off of shore. And they would come flying out in one or two or three of those little surface craft, We'd have to dive and they would drop their depth charges and then they would go back in, get another load of depth charges and come back out again the second time or all day long. So that was quite a, that was pretty hair uh, racking at, at that time, being on lifeguard duty for the B-29s that were shot down. But as it turned out, another funny instant What a. One of those B-29s that was flying over us at that time turned out to be, I did not know at the time, my future brother-in-law. He was a tail gunner on one of those B-29s, and it's out there at the same time I was. So that was an interesting fact.
1: One of the things about World War II, I've learned from talking to my father, was there's so many just slice-of-life experiences, just like you're telling us, that you would never really have encountered in life if it wasn't for this monumental war effort going on and friends you're listening to the Roger Franklin Williams annual tribute to Veterans Day and right now we're speaking with American hero Earl Shaw 91 year old naval veteran of World War II where he saw extensive naval combat aboard the USS Sea Dragon submarine SS 194 and before we go to break we got about two minutes before we go to break um why don't you just share, you know, talk about the, the real world, back to the real world aspect of World War II. And, of course, it wasn't all all combat and fighting, and you, know, you had these rest and rec- recuperation uh, stints, if you will. Just tell us a little bit about about that, because I remember one of the things, the memories my father used to share with me was, he said there was, there was quite a bit of fun that was had, too, and he was over on Guam, actually.
2: Yes, that's right. Well, normal procedure in a submarine was on war patrol. And one time we were out sixty three days and never saw the we I never saw the sun. But when the war patrol ended you would go to some place for two or three weeks rest and recuperation. And the places that I visited were Midway Island, which was f- fanatic, was fantastic. And I was also at Saipan, Saipan and at Guam and at Pearl Harbor a couple of times. So they were when you go there It was just like you were on vacation, and we had two weeks in the Royal Hawaiian Hotel one time and right on Waikiki Beach with the grass skirts and all the rest, so you couldn't beat that, but life was pleasant and wonderful when you came in off a patrol. You had the best food available, fresh oranges and fresh fruit and everything. That was outstanding for the submarine service, and uh, every time you went into a a place why uh, you always experienced something. One time we were and when the time we were in Saipan, tied up to a submarine tender, and they showed a mo- big movie on top of the deck of the tender. We were up there watching that, and at that time it was an early part before we went to Leyte. The island was not secured yet. They're still fighting in the mountains, and a Jap soldier came down out of the mountains. Fired a rifle shot, went through the screen on the care on the submarine tender. So we all kind of scattered, and we didn't watch any more movies at night. after that.
1: <laughs> you know, that's a, a a great story, and, and it just shows the uh, the the level. You you can never be too secure. You know, no, no matter you know, even a seemingly calm period, there's always the threat, literally of of dying <laughs> at, at every single moment. And friends were get some real insight into what it's like to be in the combat situation in the United States Navy. Friends, we're going to go to another break right now. When we come back, we'll continue our tribute to Veterans Day on the Roger Franklin Williams Show with Mr. Earl Shaw, Naval Veteran of World War II. We'll be right back. Welcome back to today's special edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show, our annual tribute to Veterans Day, and we're very thrilled to be joined by Mr. Earl Shaw, combat veteran of the United States Navy in World War II. He served, Mr. Shaw served aboard the USS Sea Dragon, SS-194, and that service took him as we're hearing to Midway, Midway Island, to Iwo Jima, to Saipan, Guam. And the Battle of Leyte Gulf, where he was engaged in naval combat with the Japanese. We're hearing all about it today on the Roger Franklin Williams Show. Great history, great real world insight into what life was like for the greatest generation, especially those serving in harm's way. Also, we're pleased to be joined by David Shaw, Mr. Shaw's son. We might hear from Dave in a few minutes as well. And, of course, we're very pleased that we have a special producer on our show today, Pete Paquette, operations manager <laughs> of our whole operation here at Salem Media Group Orlando. Pete, thank you for you know, doing double duty. here, no helping us today.
0: Didn't want to miss the show.
1: Now, um, we're also hearing that Pete and Mr. Shaw have a connection. Mr. Shaw went to uh, prepar- preparatory school you know, at Iowa State University Electrical School. And, of course, Pete uh, is, is from Iowa as well. Yeah, right. w- w- would you identify yourself as a cyclone, actually?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is as a mascot for a... Iowa, <laughs> Iowa State University, of course. Close by, anyway. Close by. I mean, grew up in Des Moines, and, and of course, that's just right by uh, uh, Ames, just south of Ames right, right there. So, right. Yeah, you always did kind of back and forth, but yeah, go cyclones. Yeah.
1: Now, I also want to let you know, of course, we'll always love to tell you about our friends over at Porky's Original Barbecue, and... We uh, often you know, tell you about all the wonderful sandwiches, sides, everything available, banana pudding, best sweet tea in Central Florida, in the state of Florida at Porky's. But right now, the main thing I'd like for you to know, and I think Steve and the gang at Porky's would like you to know this, is, is that Porky's supports our, our veterans. Porky's supports those men and women who are serving and who have served in the United States military. And Porky's salutes our veterans on Veterans Day. Of course, they're located 256 East Main Street. Right in the heart of downtown Apopka. Also want to give you a word from our friend Vito and Vince Vito and Rhonda over at Network Sound and Video. Of course, we're talking about true American history. We're talking about some of the most dramatic, exciting, monumental events in American history. Of course, our World War II veterans lived it. Many of us have those memories preserved on either on old pictures or outdated media, eight millimeter film, whatever Vito and Rhonda can update all of that to modern technology. It will be much easier for you to access to view and much easier for you to store and move if you ever have to do that. So um, I want to let you know about network sound and video, our friends Rhonda and Vito, and they're located conveniently at 2520 Ronald Reagan Boulevard in Longwood, very conveniently. And you can find them always find them 24 hours a day, some days a week at video dot com. Now let's go back to Mr. Earl Shaw, combat veteran, combat naval veteran of World War II. Mr. Shaw, why don't we? Um, I, you know, we talk about submarine, and you know, most of us, of course, have never experienced what it's like to even be on a submarine, much less you know, you know, live on one. Tell us about life on a submarine, and tell us about, um, aside from the actual fighting in the the naval combat, what was your life like on a a daily basis in World War II uh, aboard the USS Sea Dragon?
2: Life, when you were not engaged in combat, firing torpedoes or something like that uh, against an enemy ship, was um, quite normal and kind of quiet. Uh, The boat, we carried 75 to 80 men. The living quarters and the whole boat was was real small for that number of men to live there. We had a, two cooks on there, a galley, and the food was absolutely wonderful. And when We would leave port going on war patrol while there was food stuck everywhere you could stick a can of pork and beans, all the rafters and the joists and everything. And then we had a freezer on there that would carry— so much meat, and so we had frozen meat, and the big thing on the submarine was the ice cr- cream machine. It went 24 hours a day, so we had ice cream 24 hours a day. The meals were exceptionally, we always had good food and uh, good pies and pastries and, and that, and of course we had to eat in shifts and the the um, dining room the compartment that we ate in wasn't no more than about 15 by 15 feet, and I think there was four little tables crammed right together for the crew to sit at, and so we ate in ships. But the worst part of it was the sleeping quarters, and the there were bunks in the forward torpedo room that the torpedo men uh, slept there, and there were bunks in the after-torpedo room right over top of the torpedoes. The rest of the crew uh, and myself We slept in what was called the cruise quarters, uh, and that was a compartment, a separate compartment about midships that had nothing in it but bunks. And the bunks were three high. uh, you, You understand that from the deck to the rounded top of the hull, the submarine wasn't more than about nine feet or so, and had three bunks high on suspended on chains and you slip right next to somebody, your feet could touch their head. They were just crammed right together. No curtains or anything. It was just open, open room, you know? So that was the worst thing. And, uh, but you, you, you get used to it. You, you, I guess people get used to anything and it was wartime. You didn't think about those inconveniences, uh, like maybe somebody else would, but, uh, we had machinist mates on there, and it ran. We had four fifteen hundred horsepower Pratt and Whitney diesel engines that um, drove four generators that drove four motors for propulsion, and then the generators supplied power for charging the batteries. Every night when you serviced, you had to charge the battery because submerged, you ran off of the battery uh, for propulsion. <coughs> The batteries were probably the worst part of an electrician's life on a submarine because they had to be recharged every night. And the batteries were below deck, and there were 120 batteries in the forward battery room, forward 120 batteries in the after battery room. And each individual battery cell was about 14 inches square and about 5 foot tall. So those batteries had to be charged every night, and the poor old peon electrician's duty was to crawl down in that space underneath the deck and take the hydrometer readings during the length of the charge of certain battery cells to see that they were fully charged and everything was right and okay. And that that was not an easy task, charging those batteries every night, but you got used to it, you know. And then you got to sleep in in the bunk where
1: your head's touching a guy's feet. Yes, absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
1: We're getting real-world insight on life above us aboard a submarine during World War II from Mr. Earl Shaw, who served on the USS Sea Dragon extensively in the Pacific during World War II. Service, as we were hearing, took him all the way to the coast of Tokyo on this USS Sea Dragon, to Midway Island, to Iwo Jima, Saipan, Guam, and combat at the Battle of Leyte Gulf. You know, Mr. Charles, you were talking about the ice cream aboard the submarine. I couldn't help but think of another one of my favorite movies from World War II, The Cane Mutiny, and you get real insight into how much ice cream and, and frozen strawberries were valued by by the men at sea during World War II from, from that particular movie. But um, now can you— Tell us now one more. Um, wh- now, what was it like the camaraderie of the men? Because I suspect that you know, sitting in an office for a few hours a day, sometimes you get a little tired. Nothing. No, not talking about you, Pete, but <laughs> you get a little uh, tired aboard with some of your uh, you know your co- compatriots, uh, uh, coworkers. Uh, what was it like to be on a
2: submarine below the sea for months at a time? Well, the boat I was on, the men got around and got uh, together. Got they were exceptionally good. They all liked each other. You were one group of men in that little teeny submarine in and, and, and dangerous positions and dangerous locations. And the the camaraderie between the men and the individuals were, were exceptionally great. I never never heard any crosswords or any arguing or fussing between the individual men. So sometimes would be a, a little... Uh, difference between the electricians and the machinist mates or machinist mates and the torpedo men or the radio men or something like that, you know, but it was all good-natured and uh, I-, I never saw anything that was out of the way or any hard feelings or harshness or bad feelings any time that I was on the submarine b- among the individual crew members.
1: And, and keep in mind, you know, friends. He he was Mr. Shaw was doing this, and I'm sure many of his fellow sailors were as a teenager. I mean, you enlisted at 17 years old, and this is all when you're 17, 18, 19, tw- 20 years old. Uh, now, one more thing, um, you know, and we got our, our break coming up in, in just about about two minutes. But did you? You've already told us. I mean, you you and your your fellow uh, your crew uh, fellow sailors' lives were in danger. You know, some, several specific times that you've just told us about. Of course, um, you, you know you were in danger the whole the whole time. Really, was that something
2: you thought about? It was on your mind twenty four hours a day. Yes, yes, and you were uneasy. You just didn't discuss it. But the real rough times were when you were under depth charge attack, and that was uh, being a submariner. I have, maybe I'm partial, but I I, I have it hard thinking that any part of the war uh, fighting was any worse than sitting in that submarine 300 feet below the surface, hearing those depth charges go off, just racking and booming and shaking your boat and everything, and you never knew from one second to the next when one was going to be close enough to sink you, you know. That that part was real, really, really bad. Yeah. Friends, we're hearing...
1: Real-world insights from World War II from our friend, 91-year-old veteran, naval veteran, Earl Shaw, a true U.S. hero, United States hero. He served, as we're hearing, on the USS Sea Dragon extensively during World War II, saw extensive combat on the Sea Dragon during World War II. And he was posted at various places, served at various places, including right off the coast of Tokyo, Tokyo in the Pacific. We're going to go to a break in just a moment. When we come back, we'll continue on today's special edition of the Roger Franklin Williams Show, our annual tribute to Veterans Day with our featured guest, Navy veteran, Navy combat veteran, Earl Shaw. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Roger Franklin Williams Show. We're glad you're joining us today today. Very happy you're joining us today for this special program. It's our annual tribute to Veterans Day, and we are pleased to be joined by a true American hero, Mr. Earl Shaw. He's 91 years old. He served, as we're hearing, extensively in the United States Navy aboard the USS Sea Dragon SS-194 during World War II. He enlisted as a 17-year-old teenager just days after graduating from high school And served extensively in the Pacific, and his service included uh, extensive combat and also serving on Midway Island, Iwo Jima, Saipan, Guam, and participating in the Battle of Leyte Gulf, one of the most dramatic and famous and largest and most successful naval battles in United States naval history. Let's go back to Mr. Earl Shaw. And before we go back to Mr. Shaw, I do want to let you know, of course, that our friends at Sheila Auto Repair, Demetrius and Odysseus Virgos salute our veterans on Veterans Day and salute and support all who serve in our United States military, protecting our freedom and liberty and, and security. Now, now we're going to be pleased to be joined by, be joined by Dave Shaw, president of Shaw air conditioning, and son of Mr. Earl Shaw. And Dave, I want to thank you for bringing Mr. Shaw over today. Thank you for coming over and
0: just share a few of your thoughts as you're hearing these dramatic stories from your father. Well, thanks, Roger. Thank you for having him. Um, uh, You you know, when I'm sitting here listening to this, uh, my main thought is this, that Roger, I never heard any of this growing up, Uh, not one word. Uh, You know, he got off that boat. He went to uh, electrical engineering school at Virginia Tech, he started a family. And and just recently have I heard these, frankly, sometimes harrowing stories. But growing up, he never said a word about it.
1: And one point you've made to me as well is this all happened, as mentioned before, when he was a teenager. Your father and, and many of his fellow sailors were teenagers right, and right. not teenagers, just young guys in their early and mid-20s.
0: Right. And, you know, in in our times at age 17, as you know, we were not out of high school yet. And I get you know he graduated about a year younger from high school, but but seventeen and nineteen years old and having depth charges dropped on you, I'd say you grew up pretty quick. You went from sock hops and basketball games and right. football games to, to having <laughs> depth charges dropped on you in the middle of the Pacific. <clears throat> That's right, and fighting in the Battle of Leyte Gulf. Every every one of those fellows is a hero, as far as I'm concerned.
1: No, let's no. I would like to skip ahead just a little bit, because I, I I'm very curious about this and. Once again, it's part of the characteristics of the greatest generation, and the greatest generation wasn't just World War II. Of course, I think that was one of the thing that really molded and 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 and, and crafted the character of the greatest generation, along with the Great Depression, of course, uh, which immediately preceded it. But also, this generation came home and helped to build the strongest economy in world history to that point, and build a country that was, you know, a, a, the most free. And a country in the history of the world, prosperous and, and generous. Can you talk about just after the war's over, after you've had this, these dramatic experiences, next thing you know, the war's over,
2: you come back home. What was life like that? What was that transition like? Well, back then, when the war was over at that time, we didn't think much about it. It's just normal, routine life, you know. And it wasn't, wasn't no great big deal, but thousands of other servicemen like me Went back to college on the GI Bill. And I chose, I went to Virginia Tech up in Virginia because I was born and raised in Western Virginia. Uh, went to Virginia Tech and got a degree in electrical engineering. And uh, we stayed up there in Virginia. I worked for about 12 years with the power company till three kids, four kids were born. And then we decided to come to Florida. So I came to Florida and we've been living in Winter Park for 54 years. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. And all four of my kids uh, graduated from Winter Park High School. All four of the kids and 11 grandkids still live right here in town. And I'm I'm blessed. I'm one, one of the luckiest guys in the world, you know. And so when we moved to Florida, first came down here, I worked for six years at the Cape, all during the Apollo program. And then when they phased out the phased down and phased out the Apollo program after six years. The subcontract, I worked for Dow Chemical there, who had an engineering and construction contract with Kate. And so when that was over, Dow lost the contract, and I wound up at Disney. And so then I worked with Disney, and I retired from Disney as manager of energy systems, you know, and still live in Winter Park, right where we were 54 years ago. So, so life has been great to me, and I am thankful and been blessed and just extremely lucky. I have a wonderful family and all good kids and everything. So blessed.
1: Thank you for being here to share with us. And the one point I would make about the, the greatest generation, you know, it's—as I observe in um, their lives, it seems like they were—once you know, they came home from the war, were very focused and, you know, just kind of picked right up and, you know, just— begin to contribute to the economy, to society, to the community um, in a very positive ways as well. Um, now, now I would like to go back, take a step back. Mr. Sean, friends, you're listening to the Roger Franklin Williams Show Annual Tribute to Veterans Day. Pete Paquette is our producer. We're joined by American hero Mr. Earl Shaw, a 91-year-old naval veteran of World War II. He served in extensive combat on the USS Sea Dragon in the naval submarine service and his son dave shaw is here joining us as well president founder and president of shaw air conditioning you told us that that you're you know near the end of your run if you will on the sea dragon um you know they they the, the navy uh you know, ex- took the sea dragon into dry dock near the end of the war and, and examined it and and found that you'd had gone through such extensive service and combat
2: that it was no longer seaworthy can you tell us a little bit about that when we came in off of the war patrol, that was primarily up and down. A lot of it was up and down the coast of Japan. Lifeguard duty and took some of the depth charge attacks. Then we went to the island of Guam for rest and recuperation. We were supposed to be in Guam for two or three weeks before we went out again. We did leave the boat for two or three days, and then the rest, the re, uh, re, relief crew took over the boat. And they came back with a report that the boat was damaged so bad that it needed to go back to Pearl Harbor and go in dry dock. That they didn't feel like they could do the repairs and, and do the inspections like should be done. So we left left Guam, went back to Pearl Harbor, put the boat in dry dock. We went to the Royal Hawaiian Hotel on Wacky Key Beach, and the relief crew and naval engineers took over. And the skipper came down to the hotel. The enlisted men and the officers stayed at different locations. The skipper came down to the Royal William Hotel one morning, and he said, you guys need to go out there and look at your boat. And so I didn't go, but some of them did. And they said the boat looked like a washboard. It was just rippled like a washboard from depth charges. So the final diagnosis by the relief crew in Pearl Harbor was that the boat was not good enough shape, and could not be repaired to go back on any more war patrols. This was right at the end of the war anyway. uh, During uh, the waning days of the war, there wasn't much out there for a submarine to do by that time anyway. And so we stayed in Honolulu for for a while, for a month or two, I guess, uh, training aviators and other Sailors, service craft in war maneuvers, training exercises for a couple of months. Then we came back to the States, and we came back to San Francisco, and we went to Monterey for a few days, went through the canal, went to back up the coast, got went to Guantanamo Bay, got back to Key West. And so we, the boat was at Key West when the war ended. And so... We were lucky. We, we made it through it and got back and everything. We took the boat from Key West, took it to Boston, went in the Naval Yard at Boston, and decommissioned the boat in Boston Naval Yard. And that was the end. And I was an electrician, and the war was over, and people were getting discharged right and left. But I was an electrician, and electricians in the submarine service were frozen because of the shortage so I had to go back to New London. I got put on another boat, the USS Clamagore, which is now at Patriots Port in Charleston, South Carolina, as a tourist attraction. I rode that boat to Key West and then I got discharged in Key West yeah. And what how old were you then? Well, a seventeen night- nine, nine, nineteen or twenty. I'd have to stop counting <laughs> up. Nineteen oh. or twenty. From Midway Island, Iwo Jima, the Battle of Leyte Gulf,
1: Saipan, Guam, coast of Japan, uh, all within the from the ages of about seventeen to twenty years old. Twenty. That's uh, the, another example. That's example why <laughs> these guys are the greatest generation. Well, Mr. Shaw, it's been great to have you join us today. Thank you for sharing your historic accounts of your service. Uh, thank you for your service and, and all that the sacrifice that you and your your fellow sailors and soldiers made, so that we can have lives of,
0: of freedom.
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: Dave, thanks for bringing your dad over. Thank you for being here. Roger, it's been a, a joy to listen to all these stories, and it's uh, pretty amazing. Uh, and finally, he's able to tell them. Um, and, um, you know, just uh, this, yeah, these folks have a certain humility about him that, that is so impressive.
1: Real-world history, and you're so right. The great uh, examples and great role models for the rest of their lives, for, for the rest of us. Pete, it's been great to have you joining us as our producer on this special program today.
0: No, thanks, Roger. Boy, what a a program, and and, um, yeah, uh, we'll save this one, for sure. And we're glad people are enjoying it.
1: Friends, I want to thank you for joining us, and as we sign off today, of course, thank Mr. Shaw again, Dave Shaw, Pete, and thank all who serve, have served and are serving now in our United States military to protect our freedom and security, that we can live lives of freedom, comfort, and security. That's it for our program today. Have a great day and have a great Veterans Day.